It's Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for a special edition of the New Hampshire News Recap. This week, we're teaming up with our colleagues at Civics 101 to focus on the Supreme Court's recent decision overturning Roe v. Wade. The United States Supreme Court takes its own precedent very seriously and rarely overturns major decisions. But the court did something very different last week. It took away abortion access as a protected right. What makes this moment unique, and what does it suggest about the future of the Supreme Court precedent? Civics 101, an NHPR podcast, sought to explore these questions in a recent series of episodes on precedent and the Supreme Court. Host Hannah McCarthy and Nina Versaba, a law professor at University of Wisconsin, are joining us now to talk more about that. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Well, first, I just want to start by sharing some reflections that we've been gathering from our listeners. In the past week, people across the state have shared their reactions to the court's decision. Here is some of what they've had to say. As a Planned Parenthood patient, it just absolutely devastates me. Yeah, I'm not surprised at the same time because, you know, we saw this coming. I was physically shaking when I thought about my daughter and that she's going to grow up in a world where she has less rights than her mother did. I believe in 100% on illegalizing abortion. God gave life. Would you like to be aborted if when you was born? I would have died without my abortions. I would not have my living children if not for my abortions. Abortions should be legal due to the fact that each person is their own throughout the United States and especially in New Hampshire. Sean also writes, uh, simplified labels like pro-life and pro-choice don't capture the complexity of the issue. They divide us into opposed factions and keep us from having rational conversations and solving the social issues that could some of the reason abortions are sought. They also keep us from being compassionate and non-judgmental of our fellow fallible humans. Uh, I want to turn to the ruling itself and where it fits into Supreme Court precedent. Nina, I want to start with you. Can you explain why precedent on the Supreme Court is important and how it works? Yeah, the doctrine of precedent refers to the requirement that courts treat like cases alike or stand by previously decided points of law. And there are several values or purposes that this doctrine is meant to serve and that make it important. One is equality or fairness. The idea is that similarly situated people should get the same rights and have the same duties. And another purpose of precedent is that it makes the law predictable and protects reasonable expectations. Yet another is perceived legitimacy or credibility. The idea is that the court will lose the respect of the people and perhaps other branches of government if it acts inconsistently, especially if its inconsistencies correspond to changes in the ideological composition of the court. So following its precedent is important because doing so serves those purposes and other ones as well. Uh, Hannah, so then why would, would the court want to reconsider precedent? Yeah, you know, Rick, in the past, it hasn't been done lightly. I mean, to Nina's point about legitimacy, consistency, um, it's fairly unusual. I think the percentage up to this point is something like 0.05% of cases that have been overturned. But on occasion, you know, the court might look back at a past decision and determine that it was poorly reasoned. Uh, it might determine that it's no longer workable in American society, that we have simply changed, or that it was just wrong. I mean, if you look at uh, Plessy v. Ferguson, the case that determined that separate but equal was in line with the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. The Supreme Court, you know, a half a century later, surveys the damage that that decision had done to the lives and livelihood and safety of black Americans and ruled in Brown v. Board of Education that racial segregation was inherently unequal. And that was a nine to zero vote, which was really important because the court was saying unequivocally that racial segregation was 
wrong, that it was it was not what was going to work for this society. And and you see overturnings like that in Loving v. Virginia, uh, which is you know going against anti-miscegenation law, um, with Lawrence v. Texas, which is going against um, you know anti-sodomy laws. So so precedent can be considered for overturning for a number of reasons, you know, getting it wrong or something just not working in today's America. Nina, what's the criteria for the court to overturn precedent? What, what factors do they look at? Yeah, there are several factors, and Hannah mentioned some of them just now. Um, one important factor is reliance interests. So this means the degree to which people have formed plans and understandings based on the precedent. Other factors are, like Hannah mentioned, the practical workability of the precedent, so whether it has proved to be unworkable or infeasible in practice over time, and whether related law or relevant facts have changed such that the precedent no longer fits the current law or facts as we now understand them. So in the Dobbs, in the Dobbs majority opinion, the justices put a great deal of weight on another factor that they call the nature of the error. And they also put a lot of weight on the quality of the reasoning of the precedent. These seem to me similar things, but they break them into two separate factors that they consider. It's not the first time the court has reconsidered the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. Hannah, how did the Supreme Court modify the precedent set by Roe in Planned Parenthood v. Casey? Yeah. So in, in Roe v. Wade, um, there was a strict trimester rule, which basically it lays out uh, at which stages in a pregnancy a state is permitted to limit or ban abortion, except in the case of the health or life of the mother being considered. Um and state abortion regulation was held to a very strict scrutiny. So in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the court could have overturned Roe v. Wade altogether. They did not do that. Instead, they did away with this, this strict scrutiny provision for the states in favor of something that they're calling an undue burden provision. So basically, the state can have concern for a fetus, uh, but cannot place undue restriction on abortion prior to fetal viability. Um, and one significant thing here was the lengthy discussion of stare decisis, respect of precedent, in the lead opinion of Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Basically, Roe, while it had gotten disapproval from people in the United States, it had not proved unworkable, right? So a generation had lived their lives reliant on this right enshrined by Roe. And so the, quote, an essential holding of Roe had to remain so as not to cause hardship to those people who were relying upon that decision, um, which, you know, is irrelevant now. States are now permitted to pass abortion restriction of any kind uh, to be subject to lower court scrutiny on a case-by-case -case basis. This is Morning Edition from NHPR, and it's a special edition of the New Hampshire News Recap with Civics 101. Host Hannah McCarthy and University of Wisconsin law professor Nina Rosava. We're talking about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. If you've got some questions and would like to inform future reporting, we want to hear from you. You can email us at voices at nhpr.org. You can also call and leave a voicemail at 603-513-7790. Nina, what are some things that stood out in the leaked draft opinion from Justice Alito? What were some things that, that stood out that were different from how the Supreme Court would usually treat precedent? Yeah, so I should note that the leaked draft opinion on the matter of precedent is basically the same as far as I can tell as the final opinion. So I don't think there were any major changes, uh, maybe not even any minor changes made to the analysis of stare decisis. So mm. this, um, the response stands for the final decision. So on the matter of stare decisis, two things 
that stand out are the court's treatment of reliance interests and its treatment of the nature of error. So on reliance interests, the court claims that only tangible concrete reliance counts, like the kind of reliance that people would have if they formed contracts or engaged in property transactions based on a precedent and then had measurable economic interests at stake that would be upset if the court overruled the precedent. But people planning their lives and ordering their thinking based on the belief that abortion would be available to them should they need it is not a legitimate or relevant reliance interest, according to the Dobbs majority opinion. And this is a very different approach to precedent than the one that the court has embraced elsewhere, and in particular, the one that, that it relied on in the Casey decision, which, as Hannah mentioned, engaged in its own stare decisis analysis, because it was also asked to overrule Roe there. Um, so the Dobbs majority rejects Casey's approach to reliance interests. Mm -hmm. The Dobbs court also departs from Casey in terms of the emphasis it puts on what the justices call the nature of the error. So they claim that the nature of the error here is egregious, and they rely heavily on that claim in an attempt to justify overruling Roe and Casey. And, and you know, we talked about this uh, at the beginning of the segment about the credibility issue. Han Hannah, how, how could this decision affect the credibility of the Supreme Court? Yeah, you know, we keep talking about this Casey decision, and I think a big part of the reason there is because credibility is specifically cited in the um, the lead Casey opinion. Uh, the plurality opinion makes clear that if that there is a need for consistency and predictability at the judicial level, it talks about the fact that Roe resolved a national controversy, something that people were really concerned and fighting about, right? Uh, lending that decision a different kind of what they call a dimension than, quote, normal cases. This is, this is a remarkable case. That's mm -hmm. the idea there. And it tells either side of this controversy, this national controversy, that they can end their division because the Supreme Court has determined that there is a shared mandate in the Constitution. The Constitution is the shared law of the land, right? And the Supreme Court is saying, this is what it means. So you don't have to fight about it anymore, ostensibly, right? Um, and, you know, so the Supreme Court has played referee. It's pointed out the rule. And, you know, to that point, the same opinion says that the court would lack legitimacy or, you know, there's concern that the court would lack legitimacy if it flipped the script on constitutional decisions without great care, if it did so frequently, if it did so without weighing what that case had done for people, because it would indicate to the public that the court was perhaps swayed by social and political pressure right. as opposed to nonpartisan making decisions based on law and what the Constitution means. The shifting winds. Right. Yeah. So, Nina, what, what does this ruling mean for other rights, like those at the center of landmark cases, you know, affecting access to contraception, for instance, or even marriage equality? Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. Um, the court here in Dobbs articulates a particular conception of precedent that would represent a shift in its approach if it sticks, and it might well stick. Um, so Dobbs might replace Casey as a key case on the doctrine of precedent or stare decisis, and the court could rely on it to dismiss what it refers to intangible reliance interests going forward. And it could also rely on the Dobbs framework if it wishes to overturn a precedent that the justices view as seriously mistaken. And for example, the reliance analysis um, in relation to the right to abortion might look pretty similar to how the reliance analysis would look um, for the right to contraception because the justices 
a majority of the justices think that people can just take immediate account of the overruling of Roe and change their activities, change, change the way they approach their lives. Same could be said of contraception. Once we know we don't have a right to it, we can just change how we go about our, our affairs. Um, so in particular, what does this mean for landmark cases like Obergefell or, or Griswold? Um, Dobbs would seem to destabilize these decisions because at least some of its criticism of, of Roe and Casey would seem to apply to these other decisions as well. The dissent refers to this situation as a Jenga tower from which the court has just pulled a central piece. I think that's a memorable image. Um, that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't mean that the court's necessarily going to overturn those precedents. They have, they have various paths they could take um, if they don't want to do that. They might well distinguish them based on the belief that abortion is just different, mm -hmm. even if people with different moral views from them would question that distinction. Another possibility is that the court doesn't choose to hear a case that would challenge a Obergefell or Griswold. So I really don't have a prediction what the court will do here, but after Dobbs, I'm less confident in the, in the longevity of the rights that those cases protect. We have to leave it there. Hannah McCarthy is the host of Civics 101 and an HBR podcast. And Nina Versava is a law professor at the University of Wisconsin. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thanks so much, Rick. Thanks for having me. And recent episodes of Civics 101 took a deeper dive into Supreme Court precedent. You should check those out if, if you haven't already. If you want to share more thoughts, too, or questions, you can do so at voices at nhpr.org. And if you missed part of today's segment or want to catch up on previous weeks, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be here next week with the week's top headlines. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR. <laughs>